Raptors Reasonless is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Raptors and NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time for thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There's an easy two-tap checkout. It's very, very simple to use. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download the GameTime app and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonable Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me in my hotel room in sunny Los Angeles is Eric Kareen. Eric Kareen, how are you doing, man? How do you know I'm not poolside, Blake? Could be poolside. Can't you hear the kids giggling and the sound of splashing and all that other poolside stuff? That doesn't sound like you. I did spend Being around people and children and... Look, I was on this trip with TSN's Josh Lewenberg, so I, you know, in comparison, I am a social butterfly and, you know, a real people person. But yes, I'm in a, I'm in a hotel room. You are so, so charming. We didn't have you on the podcast last week. We replaced you with Jamma and uh, Jovan. Yeah. What was it like to have chemistry with a podcast partner? It was good. Uh, I would love, I mean, obviously Jamma has a long coaching career ahead of him, but if he wants a podcasting side career, he's welcome here. You could do it. Yeah. It was, it was obviously a, a huge, uh, a huge contrast to our usual tone, that optimism <laughs> and, and positivity and enthusiasm for the day. Uh, you know, so we should have just called it uh, Carpe Diem, uh, the Carpe Diem episode. But, uh, Anyway, I'm here to bring uh, a level-headed and slightly depressing uh, energy back to Raptors Reasonable I'm glad to have you back. Uh, JAMA was on to preview the Raptors 905 season with me a little bit. They opened their game, they opened their season on Friday uh, in Mississauga. And boy, did they ever mirror the Toronto Raptors. Uh, not only did they come into that opener with three players injured... Uh, they had a fourth, Jawan Evans, suffer an injury in the game. And then they lost a fifth after the game because Dewan Hernandez was recalled unexpectedly to join the Raptors in L.A. Because while the while the 905 were playing their season opener, the Raptors were playing the Pelicans, beating the Pelicans, but losing Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka in the process. Uh, they join Patrick McCaw on the sideline uh, Sunday night. The Raptors pull off a 113-104 upset of the Los Angeles Lakers in L.A. Uh, they played it shorthanded. The defense was excellent. The effort was excellent. The next night, Monday night, their first game against Kawhi Leonard. Two minutes into the game, they lose OG Ananobi on top of everything else. Ugh. So if you're looking at the team the Raptors are playing, they thought they had eight guys coming into the year. They had four of them for this game. Still comes down to the wire. They lose 98-88 because the late-game offense just can't score. Uh, but a lot of positives... Within, I think, in terms of what the depth showed, in terms of the demeanor the Raptors showed, the, that kind of fight. I know that coming off of a championship, people might not care much for the moral victory side of things. But building character and building identity are important to any team. And I think while the last couple of days have been very difficult for the Raptors from an injury perspective, and the next few days will probably be difficult from a performance perspective, uh, pretty good back-to-back for the Raptors considering they lost half their team. 
I, I think the thing we should start with is to sort of savor that back-to-back as two games during the regular season. Like, I, I'm not going to say it was a playoff atmosphere because both arenas, like, just not not to criticize the fans, but I, I don't think Staples Center, either for a Lakers game or a Clippers game, is known for that sort of level of noise. But the energy, like the pure, you know, almost desperation the Raptors played with in both games was playoff level stuff. Uh, it was, you know, there was no sleepwalking through sets. Uh, there were lots of mistakes, a little sloppiness, but, you know, just peak effort and it was pretty amazing to watch and to be there, I've got to say. Like, I don't, I, I don't remember many more, you know, just high-energy regular season games that I've attended, uh, at least on the road and certainly on a back-to-back, uh, even if there was no flight in between the games. Uh, and, and I'm with you. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Now, if we find out during this podcast that OG Ananobi's out for a month, uh, <laughs> I think maybe we'll be saying something differently. Um, and, you know, Serge Ibaka, that obviously hurts. I I don't have a timeline on it, but they keep on saying it's a severe ankle sprain. And we saw De'Aaron Fox out three to four weeks before even being reevaluated. So if I had to guess, I, I would be betting somewhere along those lines uh, with Ibaka. And uh, the Lowry thing obviously limits what they can do offensively. Uh, defensively, too. But you saw late in that game, uh, for myriad reasons, the offense was just stymied and we can get into that i think some of it was the unfamiliarity and some of it was just your two primary creators sitting on as pascal siakam said almost an hour and a half of playing time over the course of 27 hours uh so and we'll get into that but i i think what they found on the bench and the energy and fight that they showed that's what's going to stand out with uh, to me over those two games, not the injuries, uh, at least for now. Yeah, I think that's huge. The depth thing is something, you know, you know how fond I am of talking about the back half of the roster and those guys on the fringes. Uh, but it's not a joke. It's not like it's I, I get that everyone teases me that it's on brand or whatever um, and that I care about that more than everyone else. But like those things matter over 82 games. And the Raptors historically have not had to use their 14th and 15th men a ton. Like me stressing about Dewan Hernandez's place on the roster, what he can bring, or, you know, me continuing to beat the why can't Malcolm Miller get in the, get in the game drum. Uh, maybe those roster spots aren't that important, but like your seven or eight through 13 matter a lot. And I, I started, it really started to bother me this idea that um, the narrative had become the Raptors had no depth and they couldn't play anyone. And they were so thin when really they hadn't given anyone other than the, the top eight they came into the season with a shot other than maybe Terrence Davis, the first couple games of the season. Now I know there's an, there are, you know, factors there. Nick Nurse is probably trying to motivate guys. Um, the practice sessions that we don't get to watch, maybe the quality of play was low. I, I think there's something to what Nurse is. He hasn't come right out and said it, but I think from the context of a lot of his quotes, he had a plan where the first chunk of the season was a little lighter in the schedule. The second chunk was high on quality of competition. And then you hit a chunk of the schedule where it eases up a little bit in terms of quality of competition. And they're at home a lot more. I think I think after this trip, seven of nine games are at home. Maybe he was looking at that as the timeline to start to work some of these guys in more to kind of give them an extended camp. All of those are 
are reasonable justifications, but I didn't love the discourse that, well, the Raptors had no one they could play because we hadn't seen these guys fail yet. Terrence, Ro uh, Terrence Davis, sorry, <laughs> Terrence Ross. Um, Terrence Davis is an undrafted rookie and expectations should be modest for him, of course, uh, especially when he slides over to that point guard position. Uh, but he showed enough that he could be a back-end rotation guy. Matt Thomas is obviously a, a very one-sided player at this point, <laughs> but that, sh that shooting is helpful to bench units. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson has for four years been a plus defender, and, and one of those years was on a, a pretty good team. And even Boucher, I mean, Boucher is going to give you a lot and, and take a little bit away in doing so, but, like, he's worth a look to see what's there. Um, and then I would argue that, you know, Malcolm Miller has shown he can be a, a functional depth guy if needed in the past, too. So um, I was happy from a, you know, long-term information perspective and from a... I like seeing what these guys can have perspective that those guys are getting a chance. I think that there aren't really silver linings with injuries to your best players, but if you search for one, this is it. The Raptors are going to find out a lot about these um, guys who, you know, in better times project as eight through 12 in the rotation. They're going to find out a lot about them. They're going to find out what they can give, um, who they fit with, how they might be able to be used when, when the rotation is healthier again. Uh, I think all of that is good. And I think that over two games, you know, those guys, you know, they, obviously, every one of those guys I named showed some warts across two games in way more minutes than they're used to getting. But I also think they showed why they're on the roster in the first place and, and what they might look like in smaller rotation roles when, when things are going a, a little better on the injury front. And Fred Van Vliet pointed this out. Like, it's, it's a lot easier... Uh, now you also get exposed a bit more, but it's a lot easier coming into a game when you know you're going to get 25 minutes versus eight minutes. Uh, uh, that's something that within a player's psyche that it, it's hard to quantify, uh, but you know the or, or quali and certainly you know even qualify. But the way the confidence with which Boucher played and sort of the fearlessness, yes, that's a trademark of his game, and he's certainly not shy in any given situation, but he also doesn't have to be worried about the first mistake he'll make, and he doesn't have to wor be worried about, you know, maybe losing the re rebounding positioning, which happened more than a few times against the Clippers, because he's he's he knows the Raptors need him, and Again, if that can translate to him being able to take that, you know, fear of making a mistake, and, and I'm not just for him, for all the guys you mentioned, back to like slightly smaller roles, and now you're not playing Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam, you're not playing them 39 minutes a night, you're playing them, you know, a more reasonable 35 minutes a night or something, that's a, over time, that's a huge win for the Raptors. Um, I don't think we should lose sight of uh oh let me ask you a question of the guys and, and i'd say terrence davis ronde hollis jefferson and chris boucher were the three guys who really stood out over these games you know matt thomas had his moments but uh there's less to say about that i think he he certainly is what he is right now um <laughs> what which of those three guys maybe not that you're happiest for but which one was most interesting to you? Yeah, I think Hollis Jefferson's the big one for me, just because. I mean, first you you said happiest for, and I don't know this. I don't know Hollis Jefferson personally, but he's a guy who normally has a ton of positive energy and has always gotten good reviews as a teammate and a culture guy. And he is just like, like not 
been that really. And I think it's obviously there was the groin injury at play as well. But I think it was wearing on him a little bit. You let, go. Let me interrupt briefly. Let me interrupt briefly. He was like uh, emotional after the Lakers game. Um, like his voice was like. Uh, now I don't want to read into a guy's voice, but you could see that it affected him. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, and he he was pretty open about it affecting him and and him being down about it and him trying to find, uh, you know, positivity with his son and just thinking what would he sort of think of me if I was, you know, just sulking in the situation, but. You know, guys are human, and I, I'm sure he didn't come to Toronto thinking, I was a rotation player for a playoff team, this team just lost their two starting wings, and I'm not going to get a chance to play behind guys I've never heard of. Like, I, that was not part of his plan. So to be able to bounce back from that at the first opportunity you get is is pretty substantial anyway go on because i i just know to speak to that level of emotion that was clear and that was basically what my point was going to be is that you know hollis jefferson he's supposed to be a a big part you know a a culture builder as part of what he brings this is a guy who i've seen work out pre-game jumping rope and screaming muhammad ali quotes like he's a very positive and like um light personality and it's been a little weird to see him not withdrawn from the team, but just not have that element to him. And, and between the groin injury and the the not playing, I totally understand it. Um, from a more, you know, imp- I, not important, but a more um, Raptors related perspective, you know, this is a guy that they brought in to play minutes. I'm pretty sure. I, I know Stanley Johnson got more money and more term, um, but I think that the idea was if one of those two guys can be a rotation guy. Uh, that's a, a pretty important addition, fairly cheap. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen for Stanley Johnson anytime soon. But uh, Hollis Jefferson's good. I mean, he it's tough to work him into offensive units because he's a complete non-shooter. So you either have to use him as a screener uh, or you have to have him in the dunker spot. And he's also not a very good finisher. Most of what he does well on offense is making the next pass or, or kind of being a like a dot connector in the offense. And that's something that, you know, as you get better chemistry with guys might be more valuable. Uh, but I do think he fits really well defensively. He can defend threes and fours. He could probably in a pinch defend some twos. Um, you've seen that he's bulky enough to let the Raptors get away with like a Siakam, Boucher, Hollis Jefferson front court with no real center out there because they just have a lot of length and they're all running around doing crazy things um he obviously has very active hands he has long arms um he poked a couple steals free just like fighting over top of screens or 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 generally being a menace in, in the clippers game um so i think it's important because he's a guy he's also probably a better rebounder than any of the raptors bench guys like like i know boucher is bigger and can extend a little higher but i think hollis jefferson has a more natural knack for defensive rebounds and, 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 and that's obviously know, a, a uh, boucher is also 200 pounds so there's that yes yes um boucher man he he kills me like i was happy for boucher as well obviously but i don't think boucher has like that like he I don't know how to word this without without swearing. Uh, he's kind of unflappable. I don't know that his confidence would waver all that much in a situation like Hollis Jefferson's did. Uh, Boucher's not shy. He's no. not shy at all. Uh, but I think Hollis Jefferson's development is important. I think yeah. once this team's healthy, you know, you look at you look at what the and this might be a couple weeks away or even a month away now. So I don't know that we need to 
project too much what they'll look like healthy when we're going to have a, a month more development. But say everyone dropped back in right now. Well, I think Boucher's done enough to keep that backup power forward spot. But Hollis Jefferson has shown enough where when you need a defensive sub, when you need to get Siakam or Ananobi uh, a breather or, or they have too many fouls or even some of those bench units if you want to go a little bigger a lot of the Raptors bench units have had three guards um, maybe you throw a third forward out there and Hollis Jefferson kind of eats up some some backup power forward minutes uh, I just think there's a lot you can do with him as a ninth tenth guy because of his defensive versatility uh, so I think it's an important important development and I think obviously he's he's better than a, a DNP guy so um, good to see I think he'll probably start against Portland if, if OG can't go so it's good. It's good stuff. Before uh, we we switch topics, I will, because you briefly mentioned Stanley Johnson, my favorite moment of the of the two games was when Johnson hesitated on a three and then passed it and got it right back. And Anthony Davis was on him, and he started a drive, and Nick Nurse just called timeout. <laughs> um, and there was there were 13 on the clock it's not like he was getting ready to drop drop like an intricate out of bounds play just to make sure they got a half decent look like late in the clock he's like no this is this is gonna fail this is gonna lead to something bad uh so i enjoyed that from a comedy perspective um and also just to take you a bit behind the scenes uh in the locker room after the lakers game Pascal Siakam has got this like sort of loud, bright floral shirt on, and uh, Fred Van Vliet uh, is sort of is criticizing it, saying that you know it's not South Beach, it's L.A., and he's missing the mark. And under his breath, uh, Rodney Hollis Jefferson just goes, "That shirt is bullshit." It was <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty good. Uh, so I mean, this team seems to be. I think those are the type of games that really bond teams and i also think that level of energy is kind of unsustainable uh so i'm not sure where i land on on, you know how much of a carryover there could possibly be just because that that was an absurd amount of energy expended over two nights but it was you know if you're trying to live in the moment that was pretty spectacular long day at work tough day at school still stuck at the office Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite, too. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code RAPTORS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code RAPTORS. Don't forget, it's promo code RAPTORS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. All right, let's talk about some of the guys who are still alive that were <laughs> expected to be in the rotation and are just playing larger roles. Um, I thought it was a funny back-to-back for Norman Powell because he scored 29 points, and that's obviously the most that he's scored over two games in quite some time. But he was also a minus 16 across two games that they lost by one point, um, which I think summed up his performance in those two games. I thought he was pretty good against the Lakers, but he was not... Uh, not as good as his stat line would suggest against the Clippers. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, they just don't have... Having Norm come off the bench at this point would be a pretty big vote of no confidence in his ability to be a starter, and I don't think they'll make that move. Um, But he's probably been the least impressive of the guys who are just shifting into larger roles, even though he's scored okay. Yeah, I mean, he was just sort of all over the place in the Clippers game. Uh, Not a... Not a sort of focused effort although sort of what we've 
it was like everything that Norm brings to the table, right? Like the the good and the not so good, and the you know that you do need somebody in this lineup uh, other than the two guys who have the ball the most, who's going to be aggressive and take shots. Like you just can't have that many passive players and guys who aren't putting the ball on the floor. Uh, Which ex- starter except- may you might you be referring to right now? <laughs> uh, we'll get into that. Um, you just can't do that. Like you, you, it can't only be when you you're attacking a you know a wild closeout that you put the ball on the floor. Uh, so I do see his utility still, and I'm ready to be forgiving of some of the errors he made. But like his decision making process just isn't getting much better. I don't know what to say about that. It, it's you know he's what is he this? is who he is fourth year fifth year in the league fifth and. Year. And he's, this should be a chance for him, you know, it's not, it's still not like he's going to be this high, high usage player, but he's getting more reps and the ball's in his hands a bit more. And that comes with a responsibility. And, you know, I, I was a lot more confident with, you know, even though their numbers weren't terribly efficient, like Van Vliet and Siakam just make better decisions with the ball. And for your, you know, sort of third handler to, not be able to do that it's when this team is already as shy on depth as it is it's it's problematic yes and as shy on guys willing to shoot the ball as it is Marcus Gasol continues to not be not do a ton offensively he had seven assists over the over the back-to-back which is nice I thought he had a pretty good defensive back-to-back even yeah. though you know a guy at his age and with how he's looked so far back-to-back was a bit of a concern I think he was plus five over the two games uh, as well, what can they do to get him? Like, you don't want to just dump it in. Gasol hasn't been an efficient post scorer for a little bit now. And, and he had five assists against the Clippers, which is great. You know, the Raptors only scored 34, 34 buckets. So him him having five assists is, is pretty impressive. But is there a way to get him more involved? And not only, like, just to get his numbers up, but because this offense is pretty whatever the opposite of dynamic is static, I guess when Van Vliet and Siakam are, are the only guys a defense cares about. Yeah. Um, I will say that he took a three pointer in the Clippers game. That was maybe even semi contested. I'm not sure if NBA, if, if the NBA stats will reflect that, but it was like semi contested and he took it with no hesitation. So, you know, progress in our time. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, and it's not just shooting, although it is shooting. Like, I think he's a smart enough player to know that when Lowry's not out there, the onus on him to be, to, you know, nudge up the aggressiveness is on him. Like, it becomes slightly higher. And, you know, we can talk about his intelligence. And, you know, he's one of the smartest players, one of the most unselfish players I've ever, you know, I've ever watched, but sometimes the unselfish thing is to take the shot, you know, like it sounds counterintuitive, but it is. But I I would like to see them try to get it to him in the post uh, a bit more often. Again, you're right. He's he's not scoring efficiently from there. uh, And he's going like I got so used to the, you know, Jonas Valanciunas bullheaded running right Hmm. righty hook that how often Gasol turns back and takes a fadeaway is like, it's jarring. 
Uh, and I don't know if it's just that he can't take that shot or won't take that shot. Uh, it would seem to be the most basic shot to take, and he, he's just not taking much of it. And, you know, he did get blocked on a dunk attempt by uh, Zubac last night, so maybe that's just not there for him at this stage of the game. But we all know what a creative passer he is, and he's doing that a lot in a face-up situation, and I just think there you know, are more back cuts maybe available if you get him a few feet uh, closer to the rim and with his back to the basket. It's not, right, the it's, other two guys. It's, it's not a path to you know, a Marcus Gasol dropping 24, but we should also remember we're not that far removed from Marcus Gasol being a guy who could do that every so often. So you On still, the league's worst offense, though. Yes. Uh, so it's not like, I think teams will still on occasion react to that. Uh, anyway, I, I, I think he needs more touches, basically. <laughs> All right. The other two guys, um, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, they had kind of similar back-to-backs. Uh, they both played a ridiculous workload in terms of minutes. Um and in terms of usage, uh, not the most efficient couple of games for either. Siakam had a really tough start against the Lakers, figured it out once he got to feast on Kyle Kuzma and was better down the stretch. Um, again, a kind of an inefficient game against the Clippers, although he did do a pretty good job, I thought, of turning that attention he was getting into playmaking for others. He had a 6-1 to one assist to turnover ratio, uh, which helps with the, the inefficient shooting pretty clearly gassed down the stretch where he was a little passive. I think he missed back-to-back free throws uh, on one good drive that he did have. Uh, Van Vliet, similar, uh, 18 assists over the two games, which is great. I think he's been a little more decisive passing in the pick and roll. Uh, Defensively, he was a monster over those two games, uh, digging down on post-ups, getting into passing lanes, uh, just jumping jumping reads to to come up with steals. I thought he was great in that regard. Uh, Really poor shooting couple of games for him, which you know, against teams that protect the rim well and have a lot of length is maybe to be expected. Uh, What did you think from those two guys? Obviously, you know, bigger picture, Lowry makes things a little easier for those guys. Maybe even Ibaka makes things a little easier for those guys in transition units. Um, But where, where are you in terms of Siakam getting this giant opportunity to be the unquestioned number one in offense and Van Vliet getting a little bit of a, an audition here as what he might look like as a higher usage starting point guard? Like, I think we have to remember that these are these project to be two of the best defensive teams in the league, and it's not every night that Siakam's going to be going against uh, Anthony Davis. Now, in the playoffs, you, you can see how it is every night that you might be going against somebody like that. Uh, and we certainly saw it in the second and third and even NBA Finals uh, last year. Um, I thought the adjustments, you know, whether you want to credit him or the Raptors, uh, uh, the coaching staff that were made during the Lakers game, were pretty good. And it was simple stuff. You wrote about it at theathletic.com slash Toronto. Um, And it's simple stuff. It's just, you know, playoff basketball, like getting mismatches and, and being more active in doing that. And he certainly, you know, torched the idea that Kyle Kuzma has made a lot of leap, uh, uh, a significant leap on the defensive end. <laughs> Ooh boy. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to sort of <laughs> write the Clippers, and maybe I shouldn't, but I, I'm willing to sort of write the Clippers game off considering the circumstances. Uh, Van Vliet, I w- didn't love his fourth quarter decision-making, although... Again, I understand it, given 
you know, the situation the Raptors were in, it was like a lot of, I don't even think they were wild layup attempts, but maybe ill-advised layup attempts given, you know, the traffic he was in. And I thought he actually was doing a much better job, but much better job of that early in the game. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, that sort of broke down. Now, whether that's the Clippers turning up the defensive intensity, whether it's Van Vliet's just fatigue level, not allowing him to, you know, consider the whole floor in the same way. I'm not sure. It's probably, you know, a bit of both. And I think that's something teams will keep in mind, but he's also not going to be playing for, you know, if you're signing him to play 40 minutes a night, that's a problem. Like, you know, I I think you, most teams that are looking, who would be looking at signing him are either, you know, as a backup point guard, but if he's a starter, you're definitely playing him next to a, very capable scoring minded too. And that's not Norm Powell. So, um, uh, I, it's hard for me to overlook the guts that both of them showed, I think. And I know that's, you know, not very interesting statistically, but just the sheer load they carried. And I, and I think continued to carry with the best of intentions and decent decision-making. Like I, I come away again feeling more positive than negative. And it's something, again, that I think, you know, what if they have another bad night in Portland, uh, I might sl- um, I might change my mind just based on being further removed from the euphoria of the, of the Los Angeles games. Also, not quite as good a defensive team. Yes. Which is, uh, I think, important. Portland's a little below average on defense. And if you're looking at uh, Fred Van Vliet, particularly, um, you know, maybe not the best defensive backcourt, although Hassan Whiteside is a a deterrent around the rim, if not an overall plus defender with some of the decision-making. So um, that'll be a fun one. And then even if you look ahead to Dallas, Dallas's offense has been gangbusters so far, but they are one of, you know, they're a bottom third defensive team, and there are some holes there, uh, particularly for Siakam. Siakam will run into some size with uh, Duncic and Porzingis and some of the other guys they could throw at him, Dorian Finney-Smith. But... Uh, there is. Oh, also, we'll get that fun Van Vliet Delon Wright matchup. Ooh. Oh man, blood feud. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Um, a couple other quick thoughts from uh, these games. I thought it was very nice of Danny Green to not do much damage against the Raptors. Um, get <laughs> that Rondé Hollis Jefferson turnaround over top of him in crunch time in the fourth quarter Oof. is something that we'll probably never see again. He was uh, uh, by his standards. He was not happy post game. And, you know, obviously that still means very genial and polite and even talkative. But by by Daddy Green's standards, he was, you know, practically Kawhi. Yeah, I I thought, you know, we talked about the defense in general. Um, I thought that the Raptors did a really good job on the Kawhi Leonard matchup in particular. Uh, They held the Clippers to their worst offensive night of the season, uh, less fewer than one point per possession. Uh, Kawhi was 2 of 11. He got to the line a bunch, but he also had a career-high nine turnovers. Uh, Now, he did have nine assists, which was one off of a career-high. He was one assist shy of of a triple-double, which is rare for him. Um, Obviously, Leonard is getting better and better. He got better and better over the course of last year, and he's taking it to another level now of using that extra attention defenses throw at him um, to make easy plays for teammates. Uh, Had the Clippers not shot eight of 36 on threes, Leonard probably would have been up around a dozen assists. Uh, But I thought the Raptors' strategy of sending two to him 
and sending length at him was smart. It's similar to what they did to Anthony Davis. Um, they had they used Boucher a bunch as a doubler on Anthony Davis, just so when he had to pass out of those traps, there was a ton of length to pass around. Um, you know, part of the strong defensive performance against these two teams was forcing a lot of turnovers, which is something the Raptors hadn't done um, to their normal standard early in the season. Uh, my other thought, oh, it's unfortunate that Landry Shamet got hurt. It sounds like he's going to be out a little bit, and so quick recovery for him. Shocker Hopefully, on and shocker then, uh, violence. Yes. And then, uh, you know, Lou Williams remains the coolest player in basketball. Yeah. I don't know. He was awesome. Yeah, he's just, he's the best, man. He's, uh, I cannot, love watching Lou Will. Cannot be flapped. Cannot be flapped. Um, Eric, I want to talk about what Wednesday could look like without OG and Anobi in the lineup for the Raptors. But first, you ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers? The ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. If you're looking to add the Air Jordan 1 Fearless UNC Chicago to your rotation, or maybe you're feeling nostalgic for a pair of Air Max 95s, you can find it all and more on StockX, sometimes even for prices lower than retail. It is dangerous. As a warning, uh, my roommate and I are all over that, and we have far too many shoes for the shoe shelves we have at the front door, and our third roommate gets uh, gets a little annoyed of it, um, but we like it. With StockX, there's no hassle. StockX handles the exchange of every transaction, so you never have to worry about legitimate buyers or sellers. Uh, StockX has that covered for you. Uh, want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Okay, Eric, I guess uh, my other question then for you is is there a level of concern for you say OG misses Wednesday's game um, and it's a relatively close game so that's another big minutes game are Fred and Pascal gonna be okay I don't know is that's Fred a, ever okay a lot of minutes man is, is Fred ever right? okay is Fred ever okay no he's been hurt <laughs> since like eight minutes into the season because eight minutes into his second season, like it's yeah, uh, he's a small, albeit stout NBA player who falls a lot. Like it's it's uh, and he's not like superhuman like Iverson who could somehow endure that until like obviously he just couldn't and his body broke. Um, so uh, it's a lot. And I don't think the Raptor, if it wasn't clear by now, uh, I really don't think the plan is to get another point guard onto this roster in, in the immediate future. I, I think they're happy with what they've been able, happy enough, I should say. Like, you got to remember what expectations are, but I, I think they don't think it's worth, you know, cutting somebody, um, not even your boy Malcolm Miller, uh, who, who hasn't played and the last, or did he play in the Lakers game? Maybe in garbage time. Can't remember. Um, uh, they just, they like what Davis and Siakam and Powell have done enough to forego that for now. Um, but it's a concern. Absolutely. Like, neither of those guys is particular big for the amount of beating they take and from the players they take that beating from. Uh, so hopefully... You know, Ananobi's okay, and he can take at least some of the defensive load off of Siakam, and, and you know, to Van Vliet to an extent too. Obviously, 
uh, Ananobi can pretty much guard one through four and, and even some fives. Uh, so that would be big for them. They And I think Nurse has just gone to... I was surprised a bit, actually, that both of them played the entire second half. I thought at least one of them might get a breather to start the the fourth quarter, and I you, I don't think it's I don't think you can argue it would have impacted the offense that much. But that's that's hindsight. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, like the offense really came down to getting into transition or not and failing. Yeah, they scored ten <laughs> points in the fourth quarter. It, yeah. did, it wouldn't have mattered who was out there. <laughs> yeah, but but again, hindsight. Uh, so yeah, I'm worried. What they're doing right now is unsustainable. Uh, I think probably Nick Nurse has, has learned an important lesson about trust, uh, uh, hopefully. And again, I'm with you. Like, I think those words were a bit, they were calculated. They weren't like the unvarnished, just unvarnished honesty for the sake of honesty uh, in criticizing the new guys and the depth players. Like, uh, it was partly a motivational ta- ta- tactic. But I, I think, you know, what they did in, over these two games certainly can't be repeated until Lowry and Ibaka come back or else they're going to have to cover up for a lot more than just Lowry and Ibaka. One of my favorite things coming out of this back-to-back, the Raptors have now played 10 games. Obviously, there's a ton of noise in one-eighth of a season uh, and they haven't been at their best or, or had their best pieces um, but their quality of competition through 10 games based on offensive and defensive rating, uh, not adjusted offensive and defensive rating, so there's maybe some noise here, but um, they're both right around league average, and the Raptors are a league average offense and the number six defense, which basically, if you ignore all of the context, they are exactly 10 games in where we kind of figured they'd be uh, 10 games in as a, as a pretty good defense and an offense that's still figuring it out. That's nice and tidy. I like it. And, like... They've exceeded my expectations. Certainly on this trip, they did. Um, I think it's, you know, the injuries are a whole separate thing. But again, it's it's my view coming out of the Clipper, the LA back-to-back is a lot like my view for the series, the season so far. It's like things are about where they should be, but I have more optimism now than I had before the season started. That's good. Anytime we can get you being optimistic at all. Uh, maybe it's just it's looking at these plus. palm trees, Blake. Maybe. Well, Portland's a cool city too, so. Yeah, it's going to be ten and rainy today. Although I hear I'm not supposed to complain about that uh, to Torontonians right now. Uh, Look, I love the cold in the snow. I'm fine. So does Walter, man. He, uh, uh, my wife used the word frolicking to describe Andy and or to describe <laughs> Walter in the snow last night. Uh, and as you know, from time spent with Walter, he is not much of a frolicker. So, uh, it's I'm just, excited. it's uh, husky boys like Walter and myself do a little better in weather where you can bundle up and yeah, you get to layer, hide some of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Eric, we gotta let you go. Cause you've got to take off to Portland. Um, we don't have an update. We thought maybe we would get one during this podcast. Uh, by the time the podcast is out, there will probably be some sort of update on OG Ananobi, who was seeing an eye specialist in LA before the team took off to Portland on Tuesday morning. Uh, Kyle Lowry, almost certainly done for this whole trip, given that he was given a two-week reevaluation window on Friday. Uh, Serge Ibaka is headed back to Toronto. Patrick McCaw didn't even travel on this trip. So um, not a lot of immediate help coming. I have a feeling that our podcast next week will still be talking about how these depth guys have looked in greater opportunity 
with uh, some of the main guys down. But hopefully at that point, we'll have firmer timelines and we'll be able to project what things might look like as guys start being added back. Um, Eric, you are off to Portland for the fourth of five games on this trip. Uh, you are not going to Dallas. I'll have everyone covered for Dallas. Uh, by the way, doing a, a Q&A on the text part of the site Thursday at 1230. If you have more questions you want to fire our way, um, I'll just, if you have personal questions about Eric, you want answered, I'll answer those. Eric, man, have a, have a safe flight and enjoy the rest of this trip. Thank you. Thanks, listeners. See ya. See ya.